Hello and welcome to my first podcast. My name is Tyler Malkin and I am joined here today with one of my oldest friends, Josh Goldstein. How are we feeling today, Josh? I'm doing well. Good, man. Well, to give everyone listening a little background as to why I asked Josh to be a guest on my podcast, I'll have to take you back to a few weeks ago where Josh was back in our hometown, Memphis, where I live right now. Josh hit me up to hang out and catch up. And that's when he started telling me about his journey with drug addiction and rehab and all the struggles he had to deal with regarding that. Josh started telling me some stories and I was really inspired, shocked, and proud to hear what he had to say. Josh also mentioned to me that he wants to share his story and possibly help anyone who is also struggling with drug addiction. I figured why not have Josh be the first guest on my podcast, which is something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time myself. So it's a win-win type of situation for both of us. So Josh, why don't we get started off with a little history about how you first started with drug use and how it started to progress and just, you know, take us back to the beginning. Well, Tyler, I really appreciate that introduction. It was pretty spot on, man. Uh, but I'd like to preface before this goes on that I'd like for you and anyone listening to essentially put everything they might think they know about addiction or anything of that nature aside and remain teachable during this whole experience. Um, <clears throat> the thing is, man, everybody has a struggle. Everybody has a vice. And by no means do I think that my vice and my struggle is any better or any worse than anybody else's. Um, my vice happens to be drugs and alcohol. Um, give you a little background, man. Um, I really grew up in a great family, as you know, a uh, Jewish family. I was given everything and more. Um, I went to private school, extracurricular activities, good friends, good people. You know, I'm not going to play the, uh, the, the poor me card, if you will, because that's not the case. I was built for success, if you will, materialistically speaking. I was given opportunity after opportunity. But there was this constant theme throughout my life, Tyler, and one of those themes is, you know, I was never the best at whatever I did. So, like, for example, sports. I'd play sports. I'd, you know, partake in all these things. But by no means was I the best, you know, or school. You know, I tried hard. I studied. I did what I had to do. But by no means did it come easy to me, you know. And throughout my, you know, earlier years into my teenage years, there was this constant theme of, like, what is Josh good at? You know, there's everybody's thriving at something. People are thriving in the books or music or sports or girls. And for me, I'm thinking I'm never good enough for any of these things. You know, I'm just able to get by, if you will. I'm trying to find that one thing that Josh thrives at. So to make a long story short, I did what most teenagers do. And I started experimenting with some alcohol and smoking a little weed and, you know, and um, to be honest with you, I was actually turned off by it early. Uh, most people that tell their story with my type of history in my same shoes, they'll tell you uh, the first time they took that hit or that drink or whatever it may be, they were just hooked, you know, right on from that point. For me, it was kind of the exact opposite. It was weird. I, I didn't really like it. Um, I was a little turned off and I kind of like shied away from it. It's really funny because our friends now, Tyler, they talk about this with my mom to this day and they say, you know... We're really surprised that Josh went as far as he did with the drugs and alcohol because he was the one we had to make smoke or to smoke the ball. They were trying to get him to smoke the ball, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs> but uh, to make a long story short, I, I just kept doing it, right? Because at the time I was in started getting into high school and I saw other kids doing it and I thought that was cool, right? I'm a follower. I'm a chameleon. That's the constant theme of my story. I want to do... I want other people's approval. So I'm going to do what they're doing. Or I'm going to dress like they're dressing. Or I'm going to act like they're acting. Um, so I start this kind of partying thing. I start smoking weed and drinking. And uh, I find out that, holy, holy shit, man, I can be good at this. This is the, this is the, the, the Messiah, if you will. This is my, my come up. You know, this is what I was meant to do. I was supposed to be the kid that, you know, if you want to have a good time, you come to me. You want to smoke some weed, you come to me. You want to come to my house and play beer pong, you come to me. Like, that's what I thought my calling was. 
And it was kind of fun for a little bit, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I started to take things too far, you know. Um, the anxiety and depression that I've always suffered from, I was medically, uh, I was medically supporting that with drugs and alcohol, if you will. I was treating that. Josh, real quick, I just want to ask, <clears throat> did you know that you had anxiety and depression? And um, had you seen a doctor or anything like that before? Or did you just know that you kind of felt bad and you wanted to fix it? Like, how, what, how, how was and that I, like? Yeah, I, I absolutely did know I had anxiety and depression as far back as I can remember, man. You know, um, and like this being said, my parents got divorced and at a young age. And I've always remember being in therapy for that. And I've always been like naturally just had more anxiety. I remember having to go to therapy for that at a younger age for different things like my, uh, uh, like having uh, panic attacks, not being able to breathe and stuff like that. I remember having to go to a therapist for that. I remember my, my dad actually remarried and divorced again. I had to go. So I've, as far back as I can remember, I've suffered from anxiety and depression and I've always been in therapy of some sort. So that's another thing. Right. And, um, so like I said, man, um, I come into this, you know, spot where I'm about to go to college and you know, um, I have this constant theme, right, of wanting to do what other people want me to do, right, in order to be quote unquote cool. And other, in other words, I want to be okay. That's what I want to be, right? I just want to feel okay. And uh, uh, I, I had I went to the University of Tennessee, and I remember like I had it all planned out before, right? Um, I'm gonna join this fraternity that all these Memphis kids are going to. This is my life. This is what it's going to be. I'm going to be, I'm going to peak even higher in college with the partying thing and popularity. And to make a long story short, man, I got uh, <clears throat> turned away from those guys. You know, uh, these guys went to like MUS and Christian Brothers, uh, very prestigious, all guys, private school, you know, very uh, conservative guys, you know, and I wanted to be those guys. I want to be a part of, you know, and this constant theme. and. And uh, that really hurt, man, because I found myself in the spot like I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know who are my friends. I, I've left home. I have no foundation amongst me. So drugs and alcohol really became my best friend in college. Like that truly just escalated. So I started doing more drugs, right? Well, I mean, that's just got to that's got to hit so hard to to go to college where you're going out of your comfort zone and then being denied by a fraternity. And you're not, you're not the only one who's in that situation. A lot of guys find themselves thinking that they're going to join a fraternity and they don't get a bid. And that really, that can really, really mess with somebody that can really hurt. And that already set you up for a little bit of failure going into college. I hate that. I hate that that's a thing. And I, I participate in that. I was in a fraternity myself and I, we turned guys down and I, that never felt good. That never and felt no, good. No, man, like by all means, like I put all this blame right on these people. And uh, <clears throat> what I've come to believe is that expectations are predetermined resentments, my man. And I expected this to happen. I expected this plan to follow through. And sure enough, I get disappointed and I get all down and depressed. And, you know, um, like I said, I turn to harder drugs. I'm starting to experiment harder. I start doing like a bunch of cocaine. I start eating Xanax like it's nobody's business. Um, I start selling weed. I stopped going to class. Like, I don't know, man. I graduated high school. Even though I partied in high school, I still ended up with a 3.8 GPA graduating high school. I ended my first semester of college with a 0.3 GPA. I passed a lab class, okay? And I spent that time selling weed and doing drugs that was the degree I was going for and my depression and my anxiety just went through the roof man I literally called my mom at the end of my first semester and I said mom I need help because I knew it was a problem because everybody else around me knew it was a problem they said dude you just get too fucked up and like you take it too far you know what I mean and like, those are guys in college that are doing the college thing, if you will. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, I'm just doing the college thing. I'm having a good time. But these guys are telling me, dude, you are doing too much. Like, stop. Like, slow down. And um, so my mom comes to the rescue, picks me up, and she's on the phone with this, like, 
psychologist and he's telling her that I need to like go to rehab. And <laughs> I come to this conclusion, I come back to Memphis and my mom tells me I'm going to this appointment with this person that's in charge of this IOP, which is intensive outpatient rehab. So it's not inpatient rehab, but it's outpatient, meaning I would have to go two to three times a week, like for three to four hours at a time and get drug tested. And I come to this conclusion that, whoa, 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 hold up. I overreacted. I don't need this, right? I just, I was just Knoxville. It's just my surroundings. I'm back home. I'm grounded. Everything's cool. You know, and I told that lady, I said, uh, ma'am, I don't know what my mom has told you, but she is overreacting. I just need to be home, live at home for a little bit, get my bearings and move on with life. Everything's okay. I appreciate your time, but I don't need this. This is not me. In other words, I'm telling her, fuck off. I'm too good for you and better than these people that come here. That's what I was essentially saying to that lady, because I believe that I truly believe that I'm, I'm unique in that sense. Like, no, nah, I'm not a junkie. I'm not an alcoholic. You don't know what those look like. Right. I feel like that's a pretty common thing, though. People, that's, that's denial, denial, right? Tyler, let me ask you a question. What does, uh, and I, this is like right off the top of your head. Don't even think about it, really, man. What does an alcoholic look like and what does a junkie look like? Oh, I, um, there's a big difference, I feel like. With an alcoholic, sometimes it's hard to tell that they're an alcoholic unless you see them drinking. But with a junkie, I feel like it's much more obvious just right off the start. Um, so what if I was to tell you, okay, the, the typical answer I, I hear and I've heard, right, is seriously, an alcoholic's the guy with the paper bag in his hand on the side of the road with a sign saying, give me money, essentially. The junkie's the dude behind the dumpster with a needle in his arm. He's passed out and he's got dirt and all this shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're, I see where you're going so with this. Like, yes. Okay. That's yeah. Like essentially America's view or society's view on what these people are. But what if I told you that the junkie or the alcoholic is the kid that drives the brand new truck that wears vineyard vines and is Jewish and went to private school, but he's just as big of a junkie as those motherfuckers. The only difference is he doesn't have to live on the street because he was blessed with all these things. If you will. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And that's, um, I think that's a big truth about society right now is that it's hard to tell what struggles and what's going on with people just by looking at them. Um, and like you said, you know, you were privileged and you were, you were blessed with, um, you know, a pretty well financial situation, yet inside you were struggling just as much as, as any other person who's on, you know, I feel like on the streets, and, at least with like drug Yeah, man. And, and the thing is, Tyler, um, I can go on with my story, but to make it long story short, because I want to get into the truth of the matter. I, I, I kept denying myself. I was in denial and I kept digging deeper into my habit and my addiction. You know, I started screwing around with painkillers and then the whole, I started stealing because I didn't have enough money to support my habit because I was physically addicted to these painkillers. And then, you know, my parents start noticing things and money is going missing around their house. and. So I start turning to heroin, something I never thought I'd do. I was in and out of inpatient rehabs, you know. I went to depths and places I never thought I could go. You know, the one thing I said I'd never do, I crossed that boundary, okay. I've screwed people over day in and day out. And at that point, I mean, I'm sure that you realize that at that point Absolutely. you had a problem, right? And you know something, man? I definitely, I definitely knew I had a problem, you know? Um, you can't not put a, a quote-unquote a needle in your arm and, and say you don't have a problem. No one uses heroin like a gentleman. That's no such thing. Right. Um, and here's the thing, man. I tried every which way about this addiction thing. I tried just drinking. I tried just smoking weed. I tried just, you know, Suboxone, which is a big drug that they push on to opiate addicts. I did the maintenance program. And you know what? I still manipulated my way around the system. I didn't play by the rules. I wasn't willing to listen to anybody because guess what? My best thinking, it's always going back to, I know better than you. Nobody can tell me what they think about me because they're wrong. I had this 
closed-minded mentality. And that mentality was killing me, Tyler, to the point where the best solution at the time, my last time going out and getting high, man, was like dying. And like, that was a good outcome for me. It wasn't like something I feared anymore, man. That was something that I was really holding true. So like you go back to the guy you once knew me as that Bloom, Solomon Schechter, the, you know, little chunky, happy-go-lucky Jewish kid to the kid that's like in his truck with a needle in his arm thinking, should I fucking OD or should I put a gun to my head and blow my fucking brains out because I fucking hate myself? How does that happen, right? And I don't know how it happens. I, I stopped questioning that a long time ago. But the thing is, man, I've suffered consequences as a result of addiction, right? I lost friends. I lost trust. I lost, you know, relationships. I lost, you know, opportunities. But something, man, like happened this last time, man. Uh, it wasn't the fact that I lost something, you know? Uh, it's not like I, I went to, I got arrested and something happened and changed my life. Something, I was sitting in my truck at an, uh, El Toro Loco off uh, Kirby and Quinn. And I, I just, I just relapsed again. Uh, my parents just shoveled out $20,000 out of their pocket, no insurance to send me a treatment center. Uh, and a really good one at that. Um, shout out to Stillwaters, which is part of Cumberland Heights where I work now, ironically. But I, I just, I relapsed and I was out there and you know something, man, when you're introduced to this way of life of um, recovery, you know that there's hope. Essentially, you know that there is actually another way out. And here I am doing the same thing over and over again. So I remember thinking that day, I'm going to kill myself. Like, this is it. I'm going to do as much of this shit as I can, and hopefully I won't wake up. But I did wake up, and I woke up to four Memphis police officers and my mother. <laughs> and my mom's literally beating the dog shit out of me. And the cops are cuffing me and I'm going to jail. Like I was like, okay, that's my, that's my path. I'm going to jail because when they search my truck and they figure out what's in my truck, I'm going to jail because I had a bunch of stuff. And by the grace of God, call it divine intervention or whatnot. Um, no, they didn't find anything. The two guys I was with, uh, took it, they ran all my stuff was clear, cleaned out, you know, so they, they didn't find anything. They couldn't arrest me. And right then and there was the moment of recollection. Like, for some reason, the thought came into my head. Like, I made it up in my mind. I don't want to do this anymore. And it was, the th- it was the thought that maybe God or whoever's out there, if there is something out there, I'm not destined to do this. Because obviously I can't die. Obviously, I skipped out on jail a few times over. I'm not meant to be a convicted felon locked up. Um, I'm not meant for this way of life, maybe. And that was the first thought, you know, the first time I actually was thinking about it. And I was like, this might actually be true. Maybe I'm not. So I beg and I pleaded and I beg and I pleaded. And I was like, please let me get one more shot at this, you know, sobriety thing. Mom, dad, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever they told me. So I go to treatment again. They tell me to stay out of the treatment six months. Guess what, Tyler? I said, okay, let's do it. They told me to go to sober living after this treatment center for six months. And I said, okay. Um, and this is like beating, I was beaten to the point of submission, man. Like I was willing to do whatever it took. Um, and how were you feeling at this point? Were you feeling I was, hopeful? Were you, were you upset? I mean, what was, what I was, was going on in your head during shit, all this? Man. Okay, hopeless, hopelessness, man, like, I, I literally, that's when, like, death was the best option. That is the definition of my hopelessness right there. I, I, I didn't think anything was possible. I didn't think I could recover. I didn't think that I could turn this around, man. But I come to this treatment center, wow. and it's a 12-step emergence program, and every time I went to rehab, man, they kept pushing 12 steps, and I... I was never willing to do the steps, right? I never was willing to, man. And uh, at this treatment center, they literally, that's all, they, uh, that's all we do is step work. That's it. You work steps. Literally. The solution. The solution to 12-step recovery right there. We're working the solution. And through that treatment center, I, by working steps, I saw that solution working for me within the treatment center. 
I got that hope again. I come to like, you know, step one, right? Step one in the 12 step recovery world means, you know, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or drugs, whatever your, you know, thing is. And like, as a result, our lives became, we are unmanageable essentially. So yes, I am powerless over substances. And yes, my life has become very unmanageable, not just externally, obviously, but internally. Okay. And then I come to this point in step two, where the spiritual principle, as they say, is hope. So I might actually get some hope. They told me if you work step two, you get hope. And, um, and that's admitting that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. And I asked, like, and then we come to the cross, this God concept or this higher power concept, and I told them to go fuck themselves because I don't really believe in that. Or better yet, I, maybe there's something out there, Tyler. This was my mindset. Maybe there is something out there, and it might work for you. I might be working for you in your life, but sure as fuck ain't working for me because look at my fucking life. Look what it's become. But uh, they told me to write down, uh, hypothetically speaking, if there was a God, what spiritual principles would this God have? And they gave me some examples. They're like, well, would he be kind and loving? You know, and this is hypothetically. I'm like, yeah, sure. He should be kind and loving. Would he be honest? Would he be, you know, um, honest? Would he be adamant? Would he be, you know, all these various principles, man. I had to come up with these lists. And I come up with these lists, man, and I, they told me to apply one of those principles each day, through, just focus on one each day, and I started doing it. And sure enough, the feeling I got and the reactions I got from people telling me, holy crap, man, you are just different. You're starting to change. You're, you know, you're no longer lazy. You're, you're, you know, you're being of service to others. Like, it's, it's crazy what, you know? And I was feeding off of this, man. So as you can tell, like, or as you can guess, man, this is a snowball effect in treatment. Do you remember, was there like one moment where you started to get this hope back? Was it something that someone said? Um, I mean, like I, that has to, I feel like the change in that, that like change of mentality has to come from you ultimately. Um, and you were put in a situation where um, it was being forced upon you in some way. But it, it seems like to me, there was a change like inside of you that realized that, you know, I have to change. And, and it wasn't just because you were forced to because yeah. of drug tests or anything like that. But it seems like really deep down, this is something that you know that you wanted to get better at and you were ready to start going down that road. And basically my question now is like, when, when did you have that moment of realization, like that moment of truth almost? How, that moment was that like? of truth, I think, really came... Uh... You know, when I took a third step, man, when I did my third step, right? And essentially the third step is giving everything up to God or the higher power that you start to develop your relationship. So essentially I was asked the question, Tyler, is God everything or is he nothing, right? God. God can be good orderly direction. God could be the Jewish God that you might come to understand or the Christian God that, you know, if you're practicing Christianity or the Buddhist God or whatever you might practice, whatever God is to you, is God everything or is he nothing? And you know what I said? I said, God's everything. And you know what that counselor who was taking me through the steps said? He said, why the fuck have you not been acting like God is everything? If God's everything. And that right there sunk into me, clicked. If God is everything today in my life, I'm going to act as if. Meaning from this day forward, I'm going to act as if God's everything. If I fucking tell you God's everything, I'm going to act like it. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be of service. I'm going to be, you know, all these various things, right? And I'm going to do my damnness to be those. So that was like that moment, right? That next level moment of like, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to be. And this is what I need to strive for. And, um... And we're only we're on step, step three, three right man. now, right? You know, and it sounds wow. corny, man. You hear about step, the 12 steps and like, me, uh, you know, movies. Sometimes they do stuff and like AA means and it does sound cor- corny and it is. But this shit, okay, let me tell you something. I'm two and a half years sober, Tyler. Okay. I've tried medication management. I've tried doing it my 
every way you could possibly think of in the book to maintain or stay sober, and absolutely nothing has worked thus far. And it's not like, you know, and society tells me, Tyler, that I'm fucked. Meaning that if I have a problem that I've had in the past, like using heroin, I'm fucked. I'm doomed to die or I'm doomed to be a low-life piece of shit, quote-unquote, for the rest of my life. Doctors tell me, a doctor will tell you, this kid needs to be on some sort of medication for the rest of his life or whatever it may be. Um, Statistics tell me I should be dead, but I'm not dead. And I'm not those things. You know why, man? Why? Because I'm a fucking walking miracle and everybody else that's doing what I'm doing is a miracle. And you know what that is, man? You know what a miracle is? It's something you cannot explain into words. And 12-step recovery is something you can't just necessarily put into words. It's an experience. What I experienced was real. I can't put that into words. I can try my best to be transparent about my experience, but that shit was magical to me. And it's magical in other people's eyes and other experiences in different ways, you know? And that shit has changed me. And it's not like I don't, you know, I, I, I don't work 12 steps, the 12 steps, and all of a sudden I'm cured. By no means, Tyler. I'm a fucking drug addict. And I'm an alcoholic. And I will always be one. You know? I have to maintain. I have to take my spiritual medicine, you know? Um, I like to put it like this, man. I have a physical allergy, right? Okay, meaning that if I put alcohol and drugs in my system, I react differently than you do. It's just like you having a shellfish allergy, right? I can eat shrimp and stuff, but you eat it, you, you, your throat closes up, whatever. You know, you react differently. So I react differently to alcohol and drugs. And I have a mental obsession, meaning that I put those things in my body, everything goes out the window. All my priorities go out the window. All those relationships go out the window. That is my number one priority, alcohol and drugs. But most importantly, what I didn't come to the concept of and come to terms with for a long time is I have a spiritual malady. I'm spiritually diseased. I'm hopeless, right? People that are hopeless have absolutely no hope that something out there can restore them to sanity. I didn't believe that there was really a God. I didn't believe that like, good things were going to come, you know? Um, you hear about all these tragedies around the world, man. You know, you hear about bad, negative energy and negative things happening. But uh, in my experience, man, life is just perspective, man. You know? Um, you want to talk about, people want to talk about how many people died from cancer. I want to talk about how many people were saved by these wonderful doctors. You know what I mean? Um, people want to talk about like... <laughs> politics and how shitty things are. I want to talk about what we have gained with this new president or the president before us. You know, it's and the point is is that I look on the bright side of things today. That's how I look at it naturally. And this is because I continue to do the work I have to do. I'm in touch with my spirituality, man. So it seems like once you started following these steps, a lot of things started falling into place and a lot of good things and and it seems like um you know, it's just, it, it's amazing that you can see the good side of things now naturally, like you said, and that's like how you naturally think. Whereas before, take it back two and a half years ago, your natural thought process was, I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I want to die. Um, the thing is, man, you know, um, this didn't happen overnight, A. It took time and we're so, and I was so used to that instant gratification. I, I need this, that, this change to happen overnight. And it, it didn't, man. It was a process. Um, and I'll give you uh, like an insight, man. Like I started off making 825 at Jason's Deli, busting tables. You know, that was my. F- at what, what point? point? This is after this treatment. Like after man. They got out of treatment. They tell me to get okay, a job. Okay. And I was like, I don't know. They're like, go to Jason's Deli. I want you to work there six months. I worked there a year, <laughs> um, busting wow. tables, worked my way up, got three raises there. And, and then I get a job okay. at Cumberland Heights, the place that I've checked in numerous times to go to rehab. I get a job there. They actually hired me. And my job there was to check bags, man, literally check bags and sign people in. And once again, I did kept applying principles and kept striving and bettering myself. And then all of a sudden I get an opportunity to, you know, work with insurance, right? Sounds boring to most people. For me, I'm like, cool, you know? 
And now I'm working on a transition to the, be a financial advisor at Cumberland Heights. You know what I mean? The point is, is like, cool. Like materialistically speaking, things have changed in my life. I'm about to go to school in the fall too. get back in school. You know, I have this path. I have a girlfriend who I absolutely adore right now. You know, I have great relationships with my family. I have nice things. I have an apartment. I live on my own. Um, self, you know, sufficient. I pay my bills now. Um, things like that. That's cool. And don't get me wrong. That's, that's great. That that's growth, right? But you know, it's growth. And I was kind of telling you this earlier before we started this podcast, man, it's, it's not all about the materialistic things. And by no means do materialistic things make me happy and whole because they don't, man. I used to use materialistic things to help fill a void a long time ago. You know, I thought maybe getting a new truck would keep me sober or maybe if I had enough money, I'd be, you know, okay. But like, that's not the truth, man. Um, it's the relationships that I have that make me feel whole, the genuine relationships I have with people. But mostly, man, I do not short myself anymore, meaning I don't really care about what other people think of me, man. I'm a Jewish boy with too many tattoos to count. You know what I mean? I don't care what you think because this is who I am. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I stopped shorting myself and being true to myself. And when I start being true to myself, Tyler, and doing things that I truly, genuinely enjoy because I enjoy it, not because of what other people think or what I think I should do, I come to find out that I'm very happy inside. It makes me happy internally speaking. And, um, you know, and, and that's the blessings of recovery, man. It's, you know, recovery I thought was just putting down drugs and alcohol, but it's far more than that, man. 12 steps and recovery, the whole deal, the whole nine, what I do today is not about that. It's actually about a whole life change. It's about changing my way of thinking so I can be of service to people like you and other people that might be suffering or whatever it may be. It doesn't matter. And that's my point, man. I, I want to help people and I want to get my story out there to like maybe touch somebody that struggles with addiction or alcohol. But at the same time, I want you and other people to know that hear this, you can talk to me about anything, any problem, any vice in your life, and I will not judge you. And I will be open-minded and always have an open ear because that's where I'm at in life, man. You know? That's amazing. And I think a lot of people need that. And it's, it's amazing to hear the story from you because you came from such a low place to a place now where you're not only an inspiration to me, but many, but you're also, you, you have such a positive attitude about life. And uh, it's, it's amazing to see this and to hear this. And I, I truly believe it. Also, you are talking with so much confidence, which is so nice to see. And, and it really makes me feel like you truly believe in the things that you are saying to me right now. And those are amazing things. Those are absolutely amazing things and, to uh, hear. Thank you. <laughs> and it is amazing, man, because I, I truly look at my life as a miracle. And you're a miracle too, man. You know why you're a miracle as well, man? Because everything that you're doing right now, there's a purpose to this, man. And you, you may not know it now. There's a reason we came back together, man, our relationship. You know, um, we didn't talk for a long time. And that was due to me being in and out of rehab and being in the place I was. And, you know, obviously you being in school and you doing what you were doing. And like, that's just natural, man. But for some reason, we ended up seeing each other again. For some reason, I ended up talking to you and being real with you. And for some reason, you reciprocated in the way you did. By saying, hey, I want you to talk to me. I actually admire you. I want you to do this podcast with me. And that's something that's amazing about you, Tyler. And I'm not just like, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. It's people like you that are my inspiration. You know why? Because I can be true to myself with you. I don't leave this room thinking I acted like a fool or I acted like someone I'm not. I can be myself and I don't feel judged. And that's something that I try to be to other people. And that's a special bond right there. I, I 100% agree with that, man. And I thank you for saying that. That's, that's really a kind thing to say to me. Um, and, you know, talking with you, it is a very genuine conversation. And I also feel like I can be 100% myself. And I think that there just needs to be more relationships like that in the world. Um, people need to have that relationship. They need to be able to talk to somebody and not feel judged and, and tell them what's going on and tell them what they're struggling with and ask for help. 
So moving forward from that, I just want to, I want to ask you, Josh, you, you know, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody who was in your shoes, you know, two and a half years ago, three years ago, what kind of advice would you tell them? I go in with the mentality, Tyler. Um, I, I try not to tell people what to do because I knew for me personally, um, you telling me what I already knew, essentially, that I have a problem, that I need to do this A, B, and C. I, I, I already knew that, but that didn't work. So what I try to do with anybody in my shoes, for example, I, I just give them my experience, man. I'll sit down. I'll be like, you know, um, you know, let them kind of talk. Just be like, hey, this is what my experience was with A, B, and C. And I, I just talk about what my experience was. I don't tell them what they need to do because the best type of advice is when people come to the conclusion from other people's experience, like what, you know, and they can take and pull from that and internalize that. That's the best type of advice anybody can get. And um, <clears throat> to be honest with you, Tyler, what is so sad about this whole, um, you know, realm of addiction and stuff. You see it on the news, the opiate epidemic, the president puts the, you know, it's a state of emergency, all these things, their big pharma's getting sued, like, right? All these things are happen, happening. But to me, as a, someone that suffered from this, I think that's just shorting, you know, the, the problem because we're trying to fight this whole problem with emotion and legislation. We're trying to sue Big Pharma, trying to put blame on people. All these parents are coming out angry, sad. And don't get me wrong, people are pissed and mad, and I get that, but like we're not fighting the solution. We should be putting our resources in, treatment facilities, and having tools around the country for people that are suffering to utilize, rather than focusing on suing Purdue, you know, and putting billions and billions in that. We're not focusing on the solution. And that's kind of frustrating, you know, me personally. Um, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Um, I have a question for you, and this might be a hard question for you to answer. Um, so in the past two and a half years of you being sober, I'm sure there have been some very, very hard moments. Um, what have those been like? You know, I'm sure like as soon as you, as soon as you uh, have like one fallback that could spiral out of control very quickly. Um, and so what, what has it been like? Have you had any moments where you've been very triggered and like, tell me um, a little bit about that. To be honest with you, Tyler, um, I mean, I'm always fearful to this day, man. I, I don't go in and with the mentality to this day. I'm, I'm being serious that I will never drink or drug again. Assuming, you know, that I, um, left to my own devices, left to my own will, meaning if, I will drink or drug again, but I don't because I listen to people. I listen to my sponsor. I listen to people that know more than me. Okay. I remain teachable every day because the place that got me in this, the reason I got in this hole in the first place is because I kept listening to myself and taking my own advice. And essentially I was killing myself. So, um, that's definitely a big one. Uh, triggers. Yeah, absolutely. Early sobriety is kind of tough, man. You're going through the motions. I was told good news. You got sober, you get your emotions back. Bad news. You got sober, you're getting your emotions back. You know what I mean? Meaning that <laughs> I'm feeling these emotions yeah. I've never felt before because I was suppressing them with drugs and alcohol for so long. So it was very overwhelming, you know, having these things come back. But um, I stuck to the program, stuck to what, you know, I had to do. And I, I was able to get through those things, man. And, and I got to the point where I was, you know, quote unquote, spiritually fit by working the program and continuing to work this program that like by no means when I come to your house or anyone else's house that drinks or might, you know, smoke a little weed, do I think I can partake and be successful? That is like the first thought of like, no, you cannot. You're an alcoholic, you know, the moment I. Um, that obsession went away. You know, the obsession used to be if I saw you with a beer, that's all I'm thinking about, you know, all night, even when I leave the house, like I'm thinking about that beer or that joint or the bong or whatever, or whatever it may be. And now it's more like I see that joint and I think, man, that we must be real good. And then I move on. With night, you know what I mean? Meaning like, oh, let's go check out the game. It was just a quick thought. You know what I mean? Um, nothing more than that. 
So when like, if you were to come to my house and uh, let's say people were drinking, um, is that something that, I mean, you just said that you're okay with that now, but I feel like as, as, as one of your friends, I don't want to put you in a situation for you to even have that thought, but at the same time, and, and, and in my situation, you would not be being a burden to me, but I don't want you to ever feel like your presence is causing me to not do what I want to do, whether that be have a drink or, or what, what not. Um, and so what is that like for you? Like, do you, does it bother you at all that your friends are, are drinking around you or would you, and, you know, what, and what's that's, that like? And that's a good point, Tyler, but everything in, uh, moderation, right? And, uh, honestly, I still struggle with moderation. I still, you know, I go on these kicks of working out way too hard. Like my addiction and my alcoholism come out in other areas still in my life, but you know, sometimes I'll, I'll go on a workout kick and I'll get in the gym and I'll like go too hard or I'll go on a lazy kick where I don't go to the gym and I eat too much or, or I work too hard. I'm, I'm a workaholic or now, you know, I'm just on all these different kicks. And the thing is, the difference is I'm able to reel myself back every time those things start spiraling out of control. Whereas before I just let it spiral. Right. I think just maintaining that balance is so important and also so challenging to do in itself. I personally struggle with that myself. I have a hard time living just a balanced life. I, I do so, similar things to you where I, I go on workout binges where I'll work out too hard and then I'll go and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. binge eat, you know, and it, it's, those are just small examples of how um, it, easy it is to get out of that balance, but you have to make sure that you find that equilibrium and that you go back to that, that place where you can feel balanced and feel satisfied. Um, and that's hard to do. And I can imagine it's much harder to do. Well, when you have I mean, a drug sometimes, addiction. man. But the thing is, is like what I had to realize that at first I used to think getting sober meant my life and my social life was over. You know, I thought that I was never going to have fun again. But what I came to realize is that's not the the truth. And and another thing is, man, that it's not realistic to think that my friends and my family are going to, you know, make their life you know, revolve around me because that's how I had that mentality. I used to think things revolved around me. So by no means do my friends, should I expect my friends to put around, put away the beer and the bongs when I come over to their house or by no means should I expect the crowd or the people next to me at the Grizzlies game to put their beers away because it's, you know, affecting me. I have to learn to adapt, you know, because unfortunately uh, people will not do that for me. I have to learn to adapt to the world, you know, uh, and that's going back to the, to the, the change, right? I was talking about this spiritual experience, this change I went through, this mindset change. And let me tell you something, Tyler, the people did not change. Okay. You know, what changed was my fucking outlook. That's all that changed. The people are still doing the same shit they're doing. You know what I mean? The bosses are still assholes. Mm -hmm. The junkies I was hanging out with, might be still doing drugs. Some of them are dead. Some of them are sober. Like, you know, think people are still doing the same shit, except I chose to do something different. Therefore, my outlook has changed. Um, and you want to talk about hard times and recovery, you know, like maybe one thing was hanging around people that drink and drug. Another thing is, man, I've known too many people that have died, man. I get in this realm where I know people and I, and I get sober with people and people die, you know? Um, I got a tattoo of a friend that died on my body. And my, the best advice probably I've heard about tattoos from another buddy I met in treatment was like, he asked me, who was that tattoo? And was it say? And I told him, my buddy who died of a heroin overdose. And he told me, he's like, well, he's like, I wouldn't do that anymore because by the next, for the next couple of years, your whole body will be covered in names of tattoos. Because this is how this thing works, man. People die. And that's the cruel reality of the situation. Um, but I choose to look at the success stories, the people that are staying sober, getting sober, you know. That's what I choose to look at, not focus on that negative, you know. I absolutely, and I think that's what you have to do. In these situations, you can't like death and and having your friends die, that is something that's so hard to deal with and can and really take you to a dark place you have to you have to stay focused on the good things and the success stories and, and you got to stay focused on um on yourself and not necessarily bettering yourself but just keeping that 
that mindset and that mentality positive and, and sticking with the steps, sticking with the program, because I got to tell you, Josh, just being around you is, is uplifting and it, you're a joy to be around. And, you know, I can tell that you went through a very hard time. And while you're going through that hard time, like you said, we did lose touch. But before that, you were one of the goofiest, funniest kids I know. And that did not change <laughs> at all. Even going through that crazy time and struggle that you continue to deal with, your humor and your, your kindness, they have not changed whatsoever. I appreciate that, man. And um, I told you a long time ago, um, you know, one of the reasons I hung around you and one of the reasons I still choose to hang around you, you know, is because you're one of those people that uplifts me, you know, personally, that you, you don't bring me down, you know, you, I always feel like confident around you. And that's what a true friend is, man. Someone that I know, no matter what's going to have my back and support me, you know, regardless of my situation, you know, I don't, I don't feel judged around you. And, um, that, and that's saying something, Tyler, that means you're, I mean, you're truly a, a special individual in my life and I'm sure in many other lives as well. And, um, you know, what I've come to realize is I had this idea of what my friend outlook would or should look like. I thought I should have so many friends, but the reality of the situation is, man, you're going to have very few like true friends in this world. And I'm blessed to say that you are definitely one of those people. I, I agree. And, same, and same I, me. I mean, dude, like I probably months ago when I came to this house and I saw you for the first time in years, man, or whatever, you know, we picked up right where we left off. Right. We definitely did. It was just like seventh grade all over again. Yeah, man. Uh, just like, you know, seventh grade and those innocent times, man. And that's something I really cherish those times, man, where you just had no worry in the world, man. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at, man. Like as far as, I still worry. I still have, you know, things I got to take care of in life, but I truly resonate that like, no matter what happens or what task or adventure I go on going forward, man, that everything is going to be okay. As long as I do what I have to do, you know, and that's a, that's a blessing right there to feel that. Um, and, and, and another Absolutely. thing I wanted to mention, man, um, by no means does addiction, uh, discriminate. Um, it, I've seen the richest of the rich, the poorest of the poor. I've seen all sorts of ethnicities. I've seen all sorts of religion and um, something that, you know, in our realm, especially in Judaism, man, um, it's a lot more prevalent in Judaism um, than people probably think. I've seen a lot of Jewish people, man, uh, come through, you know, the facility I work in. Um, and I've seen a lot of people in the rooms of recovery that are Jewish. It absolutely does not matter what religion, what mm -hmm. color your skin is. Anybody can have a drug addiction and anybody can struggle with that. It does not whatsoever. And, um, you know, I, I would love to, uh, obviously, my path going forward, I, I want to work in the recovery industry um, more from the business side. Um, that's just my forte and what I've come to like. But at the same time, I want to help anybody that wants to help themselves or any family that's looking for advice or whatever, whatever it may be, you know, I definitely want to be a tool that can be utilized to anybody whose uncle, brother, mother, dad, whatever it may be is suffering from this or even themselves, you know, um, because this is my purpose, man. Like everybody has a purpose on this earth. Everybody has their path, man. You know, some people cure diseases, some people treat diseases, some people, you know, um, get the word out, you know, make podcasts, make art like you, man. My path, my, my purpose, man, is to help others. Uh, I firmly believe obviously in my realm, but I want to help others in any realm, man. You know, just know that if you're suffering from mental illness, you're suffering from addiction, you're, you're suffering from any sort of hardship or, you know, trial or tribulation, man, that anything is possible. Anything is possible. I've seen it, you know, not just with my experience, but other people's experiences. I've seen absolute works of art and miracles happen in people's lives. Complete 180. And that's amazing. 
And you know, Josh, I feel like the fact that I can have you on this podcast, um, if anyone who is listening, you know, can get help or, or can, you know, listen to what you're saying and, and, and it help them, that would be absolutely amazing. You know, having a podcast is, is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Like I said, the fact that you want to share your story and I want to, you know, start a podcast and that we came back together and rekindled our friendship and, and you've gotten sober and you've grown so much. And I don't know, I feel like it's just, it's kind of a, it's kind of beautiful that all this can happen. And, you know, I, I just want to, I want to thank you so much for, for, you know, doing this with me and being so open and honest about all the things that you've gone through that can't be easy to talk about. Um, and it's, it's truly been, you know, amazing to hear all this, all the stories that you have and all the advice and, and the struggles and everything. It's, it's, it's amazing to hear. And it's, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a roller coaster of emotions because it's, some of it's sad, some of it's hopeful. Some of it is just, it's, it's, it is amazing though. And I'm so happy that we have this relationship that you can, you feel comfortable enough to talk to me and, and record a podcast with me about this stuff. Um, and I just hope that, you know, if someone is struggling like you were and they hear this and that they know that they can reach out to you and, or me, but you would probably <laughs> be able to help them more than I could. Um, but I, I just hope that, you know, maybe there is that one person out there that this does help them. That would, that would be unbelievable. That would make all of this worth it for me. Tyler, man, I, I absolutely appreciate the opportunity to uh, be a, a guest on your podcast. Um, you know, this is part of the deal, man. Um, part of the deal of me getting sober is to spread my experience to help others. You know, that is essentially why I do what I do. It's not about me anymore. Man. It's really about other people. That was the purpose of me. So, uh, it's to help others, man. And and this is definitely a way of helping others, man, just getting the word out. And so maybe somebody might hear something they, they resonate with or, you know, can relate to and want to do something or, you know, help. So I really do appreciate it, man. And it's always a pleasure. Well, thank you so much, Josh. I guess we can end the podcast there. Um, and again, if you guys want to reach out to Josh or myself, feel free to hit me up or Josh. Um, we'll have some contact information um, in the description. Thank you so much.